In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the last um, talk on Saints Cyprian and Justina. We spoke on the first day about, um, on the, two months ago, about Saint Cyprian's preparation for his um, life of sorcery. Then we spoke on the second talk about his, uh, the evil he could do as a sorcerer. And today we're going to speak about the virgin martyr Justina and the temptations that she underwent uh, as a result of the magic uh, that was done on her by Cyprian, who was then not a Christian, he was a sorcerer. So if I remember right, last week we spoke about that St. Justina was a pagan. Her parents were pagans, they weren't Christians. And, um, but God saw her heart, that it was well-intentioned, that she had a good heart, and God, through his divine providence, brought about her conversion. She heard some deacon preaching, and then she listened, and from that, she became Christian. She brought her parents to the Orthodox faith. They were baptised. Her father became a priest for a short time, about one and a half years, and then they both died, and then now she... As um, on her own, she began to serve others. She would especially like to um, help the young people to bring them to the Christian faith, away from paganism. And as a result of that, whoever leads a Christian life, the devil begins a warfare. If we take note of the baptism Many of you have been to, to baptisms. Obviously, we don't remember our own baptism unless we were baptised as, as older uh, people. But if we listen to the words of when the priest is saying the baptism, which unfortunately is done in another language, so therefore a lot of times you wouldn't know what's going on. But if you have a book to follow, which is good, or if you go to a service which is, which is done in English, you will hear the priest asking the person to be baptised or asking the godfather or godmother if the child is too young to answer for themselves, these questions like, do you renounce Satan? I do. Do you renounce Satan three times? Then blow and spit on him. And do you join with Christ? I do. Then bow and worship him. I worship Father, Son and Holy Spirit. This all goes on in the Baptism. Now, a lot of you people who will have children or have got children to be, and they're going to be baptised soon, it is very important to have a godparent which believes, because that godparent is saying these most important vows, these promises, in front of God's altar on behalf of the child that's been baptised. And it's a well-known fact. I've heard a lot of examples, especially in Greece. I'm sure it's in Russia, but I've heard and remember hearing a few tapes uh, in Greek um, about some children who were baptised, but their godparents were not really appropriate. For example, one man who was going to be a sponsor, godfather at a baptism, the night before committed 
sexual sins, etc., and that affected the baby. You might say, well, how does that affect the baby? It does affect. I don't know how. It does. That's, that's why it is so important that you choose someone who will be a proper, well, not proper as we say, no one's perfect, but someone who is a struggling Orthodox Christian. Someone who, when he says, I renounce Satan, he means it. Someone who says, I join with Christ, means it. Someone who says, I worship Father, Son and Holy Spirit, means it. But we have people who have not any idea, have no idea at all about the Christian faith that are godparents. And the priests should really examine it. But anyway, that's very hard in a parish. But um, it is up to the parents more than the priest, because it's your child, for you to make sure that the person who's going to, baptize, who's going to be the sponsor at your child's baptism is an orthodox Christian. Not a perfect, no one's perfect, but is a struggling orthodox Christian. And I may remind you that the relationship between Godfather, Godmother with their Godchild is spiritual. Many of the, our saints actually say that it's above even parents. So the relationship of the person who you're choosing as godfather or godmother of your child, in a spiritual sense, is higher than your own relationship with your own child, even though you gave birth in the flesh, but the godfather or godmother is, actually has a spiritual relationship. And you'd be very surprised, I have noticed as well, that a lot of times the God-child resembles, to some degree, people have noted, their God-parent. Sometimes in character, but sometimes even in physical appearance. They take on something, because it is a relationship. So if you choose as, your God, uh, as, as a God-parent for your child someone who likes to get drunk, and someone who fornicates, or someone who commits adultery, or someone who, whatever they do, then you are bringing a really bad sentence on your child. Now, you might say, oh, well, the mystery takes place, and therefore, what does it matter what the godfather or godmother is? It does matter, because if you read the tradition of the church, the ancient tradition, as I said to you a few, weeks, a few months ago, I'm not sure if it was last month or month before, they actually said that they're the father's right that there were special priests who would do the exorcisms, not like today where it's any parish priest, but there were special priests who had a gift who were able to do these exorcisms. And what's an exorcism is it's a, these are special prayers which, take, which remove the demons from the heart of the person to be baptised. And these exorcists not the exorcist that you see on TV, which is a little bit of truth, but a lot of lies and confusion. But the true exorcists were men who were men of prayer and fasting. You might say, well, aren't all priests men of prayer and fasting? Yes and no. Some priests um, are, and some priests might not be as strong. They can still do mysteries, but they may not be able to perform that. And as we see from the tradition of the church, 
not even all the saints were able to exercise. Even if they were saints, they weren't able to even remove the demons from people. And, they, and a lot of people that had these problems used to run to monasteries in the desert or Manathos or Jerusalem or wherever they used to run uh, in mountains, etc., to find some type of spiritual father, an ascetical man, a man of prayer, of fasting. Because in the world, a lot of times it's very difficult to do the prayers and the fast, fasting that someone that can do in the desert, etc. So these people were special, very gifted people who did these exorcisms. And I, know, and I want you to know that when they would do the exorcism, if they didn't feel they did it properly, they'll do it again. And then they'll do it again. Sometimes three to four times. They will keep on reading the prayer till they felt that they actually... Because it needs the participation of the priest. Some people think that our religion, the Orthodox religion, is like a Catholic religion or something, that as long as you say the words, then it all happens. And to some extent, there could be some truth there, but it is very important, as St. John of Cronstein says, for the priest to participate in the prayers that he is reciting in the liturgy, or whether it's baptism, or whether it's um, uh, um, things like that, um, confession, etc., it is very important for the priest to, to participate, to feel with his heart. And St. John of Cronstein actually says that when a priest reads the names at the Proscomidi, that he should feel and he should be reading the prayers, the, the names with his heart, not just quickly like that, feeling for the thing. I can't do it all the time. I, I confess that a lot of times I could be out of it, I could be tired, I could be dead, I could be anything, but, you know... That's why I'm not a saint. But St. John of Cronstein and many others, they were able to have that ability. But as a priest, we have to strive towards it. We don't just say, oh, because I'm a bit... The same as when you, do, when you people do prayers for your children, for your husband, for your wife, for your parents, for your everyday life. You pray with your heart. You don't just go to the icon corner and come to church with a rock-hard heart. You pray with your heart. If you can't, then you try again and again. And Christ says, keep on knocking, keep on knocking. And you keep on trying, trying to you penetrate that hard heart which we all have. And why do we have hard hearts? One is sins. And secondly is just the involvement in worldly life. You know, jobs and, and um, school and studies and, and um, um, unemployment problems or financial problems or family problems or marital problems or problems with children and drugs and this um, and people just become so occupied with that that they cannot pray but they don't understand that God allows these things to happen to teach you to pray but people have two separate lives they have their religious life and their everyday life religious life is when you come to church or go in front of the icons we pray in church we pray in the icons. I've asked people, what do you pray about? Uh, I pray about a lot of things. I go, okay, well, you're having problems with your wife. You're having some marital problems. When you went to church this Sunday, did you pray about your problems with your wife for God to help you? I forgot. Well, you have problems with your children. You know, your son's on drugs. How did you go today? Did you pray in church? I forgot. And then they go on, and it goes on and on and on and on, which means that... It's the spirit of the Pharisees, whereby we go to church and stand like statues, all that's missing are the pigeons, and 
stand in church, we do our cross, our heart does not feel anything. And we've got so many things to pray about. And then some people even say, but do we come to God when we've got problems? Read, read the gospel. You see examples. Who came to Christ? People that were possessed, people that were sick, people that were blind, people that were paralyzed. There's nothing wrong with that. Actually, God uses that as a way to bring people to himself. It is good for us to run in time of need. But let us not forget, all of us, not to be like the lepers who were healed and only one came back to say thank you. So yes, we can come to church. There's nothing wrong with that. And don't forget that even if we have a lack of boldness, even if we're embarrassed, even if we come to church and then the demons, which they do a lot of times, bring us shame and they're in our head saying, oh, you know, how can you go to God and you're filthy and you're this and you're that and you've done this, this, this. Because we all do sins and we all do quite serious sins. And then that's why he does that, to keep us away. But we have to force ourselves to go to our prayer corners, to our icons. We have to force ourselves to come to church. And when we force ourselves and God sees us forcing ourselves, God gives us more grace than what we even thought because he likes us to force ourselves. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. What does that mean? To be violent with ourselves. Some people thought, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. That's a commandment from God that I can go and punch someone's head in because it means that we can be violent. And some people who love to fight and some people who are really inclined to having arguments, because some people by nature love arguments, and they come to the church and they read some things like that. God came and brought, bring a sword. And some fanatics, believe it or not, they actually do really bad things thinking, and you know, you even see in Christian families, Orthodox families, where someone in there, whether the mother or the father or the child or someone, takes the things of the Bible all wrong and start to apply them according to their passions. So it says, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. So because the husband might be the Christian, the wife maybe not be as, might not be as much of a believer. And the husband says, let us now go and pray. And the mother said, the wife says, no, I don't want to pray. The kingdom of, he of heaven suffers violence. And so therefore he hits. And he says, no, I'm allowed to do that because we have to be violent. We have to force ourselves to do our prayers and to be with God. But that's not what it means. It means to be violent with ourselves, not to have any sorrow for ourselves. And what does that mean? It means to be violent with ourselves means that when we see a passion that's sweet to us, that we will say no to that passion. And the passion will, will, will be crying, in a sense, and saying, I want to be fulfilled, whether it's a passion of pornography, or whether it's a lustful passion, or whether it's a passion to steal, or whether it's a passion to hate, or to have revenge, or to be jealous, or whatever the passion is that we all have, to lie, we all got passions. The passion wants to be fulfilled. It cries to be fulfilled. And we say, oh, we feel sorry for our passion, and we fulfill the passion. But that's what the saints say. That's what Christ's saying here. To be violent means to say to our passion, no. And as much as it screams out and wants, you've seen a child that when it wants something in the supermarkets, that's like a, a good analogy. The child goes to the supermarket and it sees some toy there. 
and it starts to go man's on the floor and, and kicking and, and hitting the floor. That's how our passions are. Our passions are like that. They want to be fulfilled. And then we have to say, no. No. And when we say no, God sees that, and that's where God then gives us grace and more grace and more grace and more grace. But what do we do? We, a lot of times, give in. So let's see St. Eustina's struggle with her passions. Now, the devil seen her struggling. He couldn't take it. So he put into a young man whose name was Aglias the passion for her. He, he began to lust for her. He began to desire her. He began to have an obsession with her. The sexual passions in us, we are all born with what's called fallen nature. In, in paradise, Adam and Eve did not have a fallen nature. That happened after they fell. They were holy. But they chose, not out of passion, from their self-will, to do what they did and they broke the commandments. All people thereafter are born with a fallen nature. Our passions, our souls, are inclined towards evil. We are all inclined towards evil. Actually, we find doing evil easier than doing good. We find anything which is to do with the passions is easy, but doing, doing the commandments of God is more difficult. And the devil, pretty much straight away, he said, why waste time? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this person fall, this Justina. I'm going to make her fall, and I'm going to use the, the best way to do it, which is the passion, the sexual passion. That's interesting, because if that is what he specially uses, what do we see today in our society, in the world today, in the church? What is the main passion which is basically destroying souls, souls being lost? The sexual passion. So therefore, this is actually quite interesting. And for the youth, like it's said today in the Paraclesis, from my youth do many passions war against me. That was just before the gospel. From my youth do many... These passions are more towards the youth. You know, when, especially teenagers. They're inclined more, their hormones, they're, they're, they can't think properly a lot of times and that's why they make wrong decisions and they look at their parents as their enemies and all these type of things. It is because the demons are using the, the one that's especially powerful and that's the sexual passion, like he did here. So, he... Um, this man, this Aglias man, I think it's Aglias, I, I don't know, it's funny spelling. He, um, he became inflamed and he began to stalk her. He began to observe everywhere she was going. So we might, stalking is not a, a modern thing, but that exists from the time. All the passions, there's nothing that exists today which didn't exist before. Sin is sin. If you read the canons of the church, if you read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, you read the canons of the Holy Fathers, sins are sins. Maybe sometimes it's a little bit of a different form. Internet didn't exist when the canons were written. Same thing, 
existed then. Actually, the word pornography comes from the Greek word pornia, pornia meaning um, fornication. So it, not, it, not, there's, there's nothing new. So he observed everything and then he would um, speak to her, would meet her and give her like praises and say, you know, you're beautiful and all this type of stuff which is usually used by people. And um, she turned away from him. And she fled from him and she didn't want anything to do with him. And of course, like people of today, did that kind of wake him up? No, his obsession became more people whether men or women, a lot of times when they are obsessed, they don't understand. And you see it in people when they come, I've spoken to people, when they're obsessed with someone or something, let's just say with someone, um, and when you say to them that person's not interested, their obsession is so great, they keep on going. That's a sickness. It's actually sickness, demonic, it's all the things put together. And St. Justina said no, he kept on going. Why did she not really, wasn't she interested? One, he wasn't, he wasn't a Christian. Now some people can say, oh, isn't that discrimination, isn't that? It's not discrimination, people can choose whatever they want. If someone wants to choose to have uh, a friend which isn't a, Christ, which isn't a Christian, that's their business. But for us Christians, obviously if you are in the church, you want to hang around, you want to be have friendship with someone who believes the same as you. If he doesn't believe the same as you, he's going to talk about things. That happens even in worldly ties. You see someone who's not Christian and they say, like a worldly person says, I don't like that, that guy over there. Why? Oh, he likes football. I like soccer. That's allowed. But we're not allowed to say, I don't really want to hang around with that person because they don't believe in Christ. That's discrimination. Um, and that is where it's wrong. We shouldn't be scared to say it without judging the person. We don't hate those guys. I don't want to, you don't say to the person, but you say, I don't want to yourself. I don't want to do that because I want to be with people who have the same interests as me. Even political parties have one party has those beliefs and one party has those beliefs. I mean, I haven't seen Mr Rudd and the other one, Mr Howard, having coffees and teas lately. Have you? Why? Different interests. Is that discrimination? No. It's not discrimination for us if we don't want to hang around with people who aren't Christian. So, St. Um, Justina said to him, My bridegroom is Christ, him I serve, and for his sake I preserve my purity. That's a statement. I have as my uh, bridegroom, as my husband, I have Christ. I want to be joined to him. I don't want to be married, especially to one who's a pagan. And he, he, didn't, he couldn't take that and he actually wanted her to be his wife. The obsession becomes blindness. And don't be surprised today because of television, because you know, a lot of kids have grown up with the television and the television distorts our emotions, our way of thinking, kind of our education a lot of times is from the TV and relationships and our way of that we deal in, in worldly matters, etc., is according to the television. So many people that I've confessed and they open up and you see that their ideas are distorted, it's confused. And I say, where did you get these ideas? Well, from the television. 
you know, of everything. And all that causes problems later on in life. People's understanding even on the, on the sexual um, level is from the television, not from the church. Then they go into marriage and then they try to apply what they saw on TV. It doesn't work. And they have marital problems which usually result in divorce because the person's mind is fixed. That's how it is when it's not like that. That is ridiculous of what they show on that. So then he decided to try and seize her by force. That happens today, obviously. Having gathered to his aid some foolish youths like himself, he waited for the maiden in the path along which she usually walked to church for prayer, and he met her and he seized her. He began to drag her away to try and take um, her to his house. She began loudly to scream, beat him in the face and spat on him. The neighbours hearing her, Wales ran out of their house and took the Holy Virgin, Eustina, from the hands of the impious youth, the, and then the youths, they ran away. So you can see from that that the temptations intensified, and these temptations will occur for all orthodox Christians who are living a life, who are struggling whether the temptation could be from a neighbour, something, a dispute from a neighbour, someone wanting to bash you, someone wanting to do bad to your children, someone who is trying to take your wife, someone who's trying to take your husband, someone who is, you know, whether you're, you're at work and then the boss tells you to do something which is illegal and then if you don't do it he sacks you there's all temptations continually there that orthodox christians have to meet and deal with this is hers and judging from the amount of adultery that, that occurs today one would have to say that these temptations are open to a lot of people marriages there is, there is a strong force to break up marriages. And Orthodox Christians have to be on their guard and ready for these attacks. Now, you might say, some people might say, oh, you're scary and you're saying things that are making us to be scared. Well, that's good. If I'm doing that, thank you for the um, compliment. That's my, that's my um, purpose. But at the same time as being scared, to have your trust in God to protect you. It's there. And a lot of marriages have been lost because of that. So his obsession became so great, it didn't work that he tried to force her, his obsession became so great that he thought of a new thing. Again, what he thought about is what many people do today. He decided to go to a sorcerer. Now, can some people say here sitting, oh, this sounds like a fairy tale. This really sounds like um, we're a bunch of children and, you know, you're telling us 
Harry Potter things or something like that, and you know, this is far-fetched. But yet, it's not far-fetched. All you've got to do is look at magazines. They're psychics. I was looking at a magazine the other day, and I found one, and I have to confess what I did was wrong, but I was in in stitches laughing because I just couldn't get over the stupidity. Does he love you? Come to Natasha and she, and, and you will know. Does he love you? Who's your real love? Do you have problems? Do you want a job? Do you want success? Do you want money? And this and that. And, you know, ring, ring this. But, of course, always the magic words at the end, credit cards accepted. And <laughs> that is the main, that's the main emphasis down the bottom. The credit cards are accepted. We laugh. I laughed, but that was really wrong. I felt guilty that I laughed because um, the reason why I feel guilty is because a lot of people have been lost. A lot of people actually go to these doors and, you know, whether it's a young girl that likes a fella that wants to try and use some type of thing to get him or the same of a male or whether they want to know something or do um, go to these people to make their children successful, to pass exams, you name it, they've got it. Child's dying, they go to these people to help them so their child doesn't die or if the child's sick or their wife's sick or cancer. People, you know, go to the, they used to go in the old days to the Philippines. There were some quacks over there that used to say that they used to put their hand in, there was blood, and they used to put their hands in the organs, and then they make the person get better. And people were flocking over there back in the 70s. I don't know if they still do it, but I remember it when I was young in the 70s. Some of my relatives even wanted to go, to go over there to, from, to these faith healers in the Philippines. They're everywhere. They're here in Sydney. They're everywhere. And people are going. And you have to realise that... When we go to these doors, this is what the Holy Father say, when we go to these doors, we are denying Christ. The canons of the church say that someone who visits these doors, even from curiosity, it's the same as saying, I deny Christ. And when you deny Christ, it means you join Satan. Do you accept Christ? Yes. Do you worship? I worship, etc. So, by going to these doors, by going to these places, whether it's out of curiosity, etc., we are denying Christ. Of course, as you'll see later on, St. Cyprian repented, who did the worst of sins. So, obviously, if there's anyone here who's ever done that, you don't um, despair. You have to reconcile yourself to the church and you reconcile yourself to the church which is through repentance heartfelt repentance and confession not just confession I don't know if you've met some orthodox Christians that are like parrots when and they're, like, they're people that go to church a lot and they got this mission and the mission is that they're going to bring everyone to confession and then as soon as they meet somebody, you've gone to confession, 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 and it's just continually, and you have to go to confession. And people are saying, well, what do I have to go to confession for? Because you sinned, but I don't feel it. So you don't take someone to confession if they don't feel it. This is Protestant. This is, I don't know what it is, it's um, madness. I say to the person, if someone comes to me and go, oh, my cousin said I have to confess. Go, yes, and, you know, why, do you feel guilty? They go, no, I go, no. No, look, just you... 
you examine yourself, when you feel guilty, when you feel pain in your heart, then come. Confession's not for people to come to have a psychological type of um, um, respite. You know, some people have a psychological need to say, I did this and I did that. And the priest goes, okay, and they have what's called a, what's the word in English, a respite, another word would be a soothing, some type of soothing. But it's psychological. You can even tell your friend, why go to the priest? You can even tell your friend and you get that. That's not orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is the, what's called the, the mystery of repentance and confession. The two go together, not just one. It's not just confession, and this is wrong. The good spiritual fathers, Russian ones in, and in Greece, etc., they look for that. And we are requested by the Holy Fathers that if someone does not show repentance, do not read him the prayer or her the prayer. But unfortunately today, because people are a bit wild, and they sometimes become aggressive and start a whole warfare against the priest. They become angry. How dare he not read me? This and that. And sometimes I have to say, priests are actually scared because they can start a warfare. Oh, you know, he he um, molested my child or something like that. And they do that as a way of revenge. So we're living in a madness. We're living in a time of madness, and it's very difficult. That's why I avoid confessions. To be truthful, I find confession to be the biggest, one of the biggest things, and um, I, find that, I find that very difficult to do. Some priests are gifted. Some priests, unfortunately, may not know how great is the responsibility, and they could be causing more trouble than what they're causing good. We have to be very, very careful. Don't be those Christians that are parrots. Don't go up to every single person. You know, I know this person who every person he sees, he gives out leaflets. Confession, confession, confession. You know, it's, I get images when I see that person and he's got the person on the ground, he's sticking the paper in his mouth and saying, you will confess. And this is wrong. Confession comes when your heart feels repentant and you need to fix yourself up with God. Once... So when I say these things, I'm talking about myself too. I used to, I've just used to do that. I once told a relative of mine to go to confession when I was younger, when I first came in the church. I said to the person, oh, you know, you should go to confession. I mean, I didn't even ask the person, do you believe in Christ as God? So off she goes to confession. And she goes, and the priest starts saying to her, you know, have you been bad? You know, have you been unfaithful to your husband, etc.? Oh, and she left from there, and she was like um, in a rage, and then she hated me, and still does to this day. And therefore, when I speak, and you think oh, I'm making fun of people, a lot of the stories that I say are my own experiences. I'm not putting new people down. I put myself down too. And what I do now is you just leave the person be. Person comes when they feel I've done bad. I want to reconcile myself to God. I want to fix myself up with God. That is the condition of confession. That I will have my sins washed away because I believe and confess in the divinity of Christ, in the only Orthodox Church, then you come. 
I forgot why I actually went on to that, but that doesn't matter. It was, I think, a good side thing there. So, Saint Cipri oh, sorry, it wasn't a saint then, but Cyprian said to this man, she's yours. I will have her run to you. And he said that the maiden herself will seek your love and will feel passion for you even stronger than that which you have for her. So in other words, what this life of saint is saying, what this orthodox life of saint is saying, is that the devil has the ability to put into a person lust. And strong lust. And I've seen that in action with people you can see that something's not right. I mean, it might not be that someone's done something to them, but a lot of times it's just demonic. So the youth left Cyprian full of hope that he was going to do that. So then Saint Cyprian took his books of magic and then he began to call on the demons, like Harry Potter does, and he um, suddenly, Saint Justina... While she was praying at home, she felt in her heart some strange feeling. And she began to, one can say, feel her blood hot and really began to become in, her, in, in, in herself attracted to this person who she couldn't even stand. She had nothing towards him at all. Suddenly, she had this feeling. It's important here to make a following, the, the following note. Some people say, and you hear it a lot, and, that, and those books which I gave out last month, they, they, they say it, but you've got to read between the lines. They say when a person confesses, when a person communes, when a person leads a Christian life, the magic Sorcery, demonic influences have no power over them. But yet here we see that this woman, who was a saintly woman, a virgin, she was a woman of prayer, she used to commune often, I'm sure she would confess, etc. Why then if they books and you hear priests say, it doesn't touch you. What happened here? That's what I want to ask the question. Who would like to answer the question? Yes, but there's a bit more. Test her, so he allows the temptation. Yes, but then it goes against the priests or, or the saints which say it doesn't touch you. What does it mean it doesn't touch you? Yes? Did you want to say something or did you put your hand up? You're yawning. Uh, anyone else? Yes? That's correct. What they mean it doesn't touch you it means it doesn't succeed. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have an influence on you. So she was influenced, but then she ran, as we'll see, 
to prayer. She had trust in God and slowly, slowly overcame it. Sometimes people, believe it or not, can be under this influence for years through God's permission. Sometimes it can be for years. But the difference is that those who are close and strong into to the church, it doesn't accomplish that what is the aim. And this, this is the aim. Kiprian's aim was to make her run to him, to the, to, to, to the young man. She had the desire to run to him, but she didn't. And that's only because she was in the church. I have to say that sometimes some people do fall. Sometimes the temptations are strong and sometimes people's faith are not exactly what they thought it was. Some people do confess, some people do commune, some people do pray, some people read the lives of saints, some people go to church often, but the influence can actually be so strong that they might fall. And the reason being is because a lot of times our spirituality is not exactly what we think. Sometimes we think we can be strong, but we're not. Sometimes we have what's called self-esteem, self-trust. We trust more in ourselves than God. In church, someone can say, oh, that person's fantastic. That person really is spiritual. But we don't know what's going on inside that person. That person could be spiritual to some degree, but he's got a subtle pride, which we all do. We, he can have a subtle um, thing that he's got self-trust, a vainglory, and therefore these are little doors, which the saints say, which opened up in our soul, which allow these demons to come in and to accomplish. However, because that person still goes to church, because that person's trying, and as long as his passions were not willful, in other words, a lot of times we can be proud, but we don't even know it. A lot of times we can have passions, but we don't really know it. That's why St. David in his psalm says, show me my secret faults. We all have faults, thousands of things in us which we do not know. And God does not judge us harshly for when we don't know, but he does judge for those that we do know and we don't do anything about. So, some, so these people, for example, can have these secret weaknesses, passions, problems, and that opens the door and the devil gets in. However, because they were not evil people, because these people were struggling and trying, but maybe not perfectly, as we say, um, they still have the light. They still have God's enlightenment to repent, humble themselves. And that's worth a lot. A lot of our saints, some of the greatest saints that we've got in the Orthodox Church, fell into really bad sins. There were saints in the desert who one would say, what, you know, they were in the desert, they were protected, but yet, you know, through God's permission, Sometimes to show a passion, a secret passion in the person, God allows temptations to occur, and these great saints used to fall, and sometimes into really, really bad sins. But yet, with their repentance, seeing, oh, I never, I never thought I was like that. I thought I was such and such. They humble themselves. And what does humility do? Humility pulls down the grace from heaven. When we have humility... It pulls down the grace. But we, as Christians, say, I fell, I fell, I'm, I'm, that's it, I'm finished, I'm, I'm no good. It's like that's, that's demonic. A lot of times God allows things to happen. We don't do it on purpose, but we fall out of weakness. And this falling 
brings about humility. And humility brings grace. Some people get more humility, sorry, some, most people obtain more grace from humility, which comes from their fall, rather than their fasting and their prayers and their prostrations and their communion and their uh, confessions, etc. Because a lot of times when we do those things, we do them out of pride. It's subtle. It's there. We might not know it, but it's there. We're thick as bricks a lot of times. We don't see it, and the pride is there. And what does God do in his love? Hits, one, down, this, that, sends temptations, knocks down, we fall into sins. Not that God, as St. James says, makes us fall into sins. We, the temptation comes, maybe with God's permission, but we say yes to the temptation and we fall. However, that doesn't matter. If that happens, we run to God. I remember reading once a beautiful, uh, I really love this account. It was um, an ascetical saint who was in the, uh, in, in, in the desert. And he fell into a really bad sin, sexual sin, really, really serious one. And uh, after that happened, people found out about it. And the other fathers that were in the desert noticed that he was in his garden digging away, acting normal. And they were scandalised and they go, oh, what's wrong with him? He just fell into such a serious sin and he acts as if there's nothing wrong. And he's doing his gardening like something's wrong with him. He must be like an unrepentant person. So they went up to him and they said to him, what's going on here? You are scandalising us. You are causing us problems because how can you having fallen like that, be so calm. And he says, that's who I am. I, I am weak. I am weak, and therefore I fell, but with humility. And then the other fathers who were judging and well, they were you know, a bit out of it, even though they are in the desert, so not everyone that's in the desert is perfect. These fathers were there and they were judging him and that. They saw that, yes, he fell, but his calmness came from his trust in God, from his faith in God. He slipped, he fell, he repented. Then he confessed, obviously, not the other way around. Then he, he um, reconciled with God. And that's what Orthodox Christians don't do today. We do not do that. We fall. We have a fight with our wives. We have a fight with our husbands. Or we hit our children. Or we do things like that. And then our face goes black. And then we say to ourselves... Um, oh, you know, you don't have that boldness to ask God forgiveness. But that, at that time, is, that's when it's the greatest, is to go to the icons, kneel, on, kneel down and say, God, forgive me, I'm weak. And that brings down the grace on the person. Some people that are a bit um, confused in their, in their orthodox spiritual life believe that they have to run to the priest. And there are people who run to the priest continually. I had, I had those little people. They come, and what's wrong? I ate too much. Then the next day, what did you do? I had a bad thought. And then the next day, uh, what did you do? I um, told someone off. And they, they think that forgiveness only comes from going to the priest. And I said to them, the way you're going 
I'm going to have to live in your pocket and be with you continually so that when you sin, you open your pocket, you tell me, and then you continue on with life because you're driving me mad. I might as well just live in your pocket. So this, this is what a lot of us do. Some of you might do it too. I used to do that. I used to think, oh, you have to run to the priest. You don't have to run to the priest for every sin. There's a Russian prayer book, which is a really fantastic book, and it's written by Jordanville. And in the night or morning night prayers, there's a section at the end, which is read a lot in Russian monasteries, where there's a whole where the, where the person, as a, as a person, because night prayers are done by the person, sometimes they do it as a sister or a brother, but in general, and you people can do them too because they're for lay people, these are prayers written for um, everyone. And there's a prayer at the end which says, you know, um, forgive me for all the sins that I have done today, whether in word, deed or thought, whether I've made fun of someone, whether I've fallen into gluttony, whether I've got angry, whether, whether I've done this and this. And that. They go through a whole list of sins. And then the prayer at the end says, written by the Holy Fathers, and therefore, O God, forgive and absolve me of my sins. And some people go, no, that's wrong. Only the priest can absolve. See? Now, some people might get upset and say, oh, he's teaching heresy. What's going on? He's saying something which is strange. Only the priest can absolve. But St. John Chrysostom says absolution of sins can be given to a Christian in many ways. And one of them, which we forget conveniently because it hurts our pocket, is almsgiving. St. John Chrysostom says when you give money to the poor and help the poor, that also forgives sins. Prayer also forgives sins. Communion also forgives sins. Suffering, repentance has a form of forgiveness of sins. And this is where people forget and they do not repent in their daily lives and think, I'll repent when I go to confession in one month or two months' time. This is heresy. This is wrong. Why does the Holy Fathers write, forgive and absolve me of my sins? And there's a whole list. But it's funny, I read that, I've read that list. I used, to, I used to read those prayers a lot as a lay person. And I noted in there that there was one thing that was not mentioned. One of the things was not mentioned. It didn't mention if I've committed adultery, if I've committed fornication, murder, if I've committed an abortion. Didn't have those sins there. Why? Because that needs the priest. That is what is necessary to reconcile ourselves to the church. Now, you might say, then why does the Russian church have a practice of confessing each time? That happened because of slackness. Because at the end, people were not going to church at all. They weren't leading Christian lives. So the priest had to examine, and they still do a lot of times, because people aren't leading Christian lives. But I know, for example, that in Greece, spiritual fathers, they are more lenient and safe. A person struggling in their everyday life that person can commune more often without having to go and get that type of absolution. But because a lot of Christians today do fall into fornication, do fall into adultery, do commit abortions, do do um, other very bad things, that is a necessity for that. But in general, an Orthodox Christian 
should pray for his everyday sins at home and in church without having to run and pester the priest every single time. If the person is leading a spiritual, orthodox life, praying, struggling, seeing himself, asking for God's forgiveness, etc. And don't forget that when you give money to the poor, you might say, oh, he's saying that to give money to the church. Don't give money to the church if you don't want. I'm not, I'm not here as a way to make business because some people have this mind. And, and, it's, and in some ways I don't blame him because there is a lot of scandals today in a lot of churches where some priests are centred on the money and people see that, they get scandalised. So like St Paul who said, I deserve to get money because I'm an apostle. But so as not to cause people to be scandalised and say, oh, he's only an apostle to get money, he goes, I will work. So he worked whatever was his job. He worked, even though he was deserving of getting money, because he was an apostle, to be fed, to be, to be given clothes, etc. But he didn't take that liberty because he said, I don't want to cause problems. And I'll do the same. I'm not saying poor, but I'll use the same example. Don't give money to the church if that's what you think it's it, that I'm doing. But go and give money to the poor. And that is a, one thing that Orthodox Christians don't do much of. For example, this book here. I'll give an example. This book here. When someone found out I was going to give this book out, someone decided, um, I don't know why, maybe the person had gone to those places when, when they were younger before, I don't know, because a lot of times we think that we go to confession, we have a bit of a sorrow, and then we confess, and that's the end of it, and we go outside, and we think it's all, it's all over, and that's the end of it. St. John the Baptist says, show fruits of repentance. You stole from the taxation, give it back. You stole from someone else, give it back. You've done abortions, have more children. You know, you've got to do things which is called bearing fruits of repentance. You can't have any more children anymore. Some women did it when they were younger. They can't have any children anymore. Or feed orphans, take care of other people, promote it in others, give books out which talks against these things, these sins and, and, and the goodness of how great it is for people to have children. So this person said to me, I would like to pay for these, some of these books. I don't know how much, I can't remember now, but I would like to pay for some of these books. And they did. So that is because, I don't know what he's done, I, I didn't ask, but he wanted to, obviously wanted to bear fruits of repentance. That's the same as you people. You can do things like that. Give money to the poor, give leaflets out, give a book out, give a cassette out, give a video out, give a DVD out, do things to help people, not shove it down their throats like those parrots, but you do it in a way which is proper. You know? Someone says, oh, I read the Harry Potter book. Oh, did you? Oh, okay, I've got a book on that. Um, it's called Confronting the Devil, Magic and the Occult. It talks about all that stuff. You don't know exactly what it talks about. And then, they sh then you see them. They don't ask for it. You don't say anything. You don't say, I've got a book on that, and you give it to them like that. You don't do that. I've got a book on that, and you wait. They don't respond. Put it away. They don't respond. If they say, oh, really? Can I have a look at that? Yeah, oh, that sounds interesting. Where do you get it from? Oh, you can have it if you like. Something like that. You don't shove it down their throats. That's called fruits of repentance. You can give out Bibles. Some people bought these Bibles. 
They say, I want to, to give out Bibles to people, New Testaments. That's fruits of repentance. Why? Maybe that person fell into heresy before they came to the church. Maybe they made a mistake. They went to other religions. They denied Christ. I don't know what they've done. That's what they want to do. Others give money to poor people. There's other, there's, you know, Russia, there's works you can do. There's poor people there. There's poor people in Serbia. There's poor people in Greece. There's poor people here. There's everywhere. So, she had the inclination. I forgot to say that he, that Saint Cyprian, that Cyprian gave her, gave him, this, 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 this man, some powder to go and sprinkle a house. That's, they use different things. They use uh, soaps and strings and pins and ashes and bones from the dead and animals and bats and you know it's all in the prayer which I forgot to photocopy I was going to photocopy you the prayer of St. Cyprian I'll give it to you next time which talks all about those things of, of what's used the demon of fornication entered into the house of St. Justina and she as I said became ignited in her flesh with impure lust Justina had the custom every night to offer prayers to the Lord, and behold, when according to custom she rose at the third hour, she felt an agitation in her body and a storm of body lust and the flame of the fire of hell. So she remained in this state for quite a long time and started getting images of the youth. Demons can do that. They can bring images to a person. Now, the demons can also bring images to a clairvoyant or to those people who say they communicate with the dead. I saw the other day this person, uh, I think I mentioned it before, that I think it was a John Edwards fellow, he's, um, he's a medium and he talks to the dead. And he has an audience and he starts saying, you, over there or something. Um, Does your mother recently die? Yes. She wants me to tell you, don't worry, just keep on watering the flowers. Big deal. How is that going to help in the spiritual life of the person? Don't forget to water the flowers. The dead person is communicating to this man and asking him to communicate to water her flowers. The orthodox teaching is that when someone dies, they have no interest and they don't remember nothing worldly. The only thing the person remembers when they leave this world is their sins and their virtues. What they've done good, good acts, and what they've done bad. That's what they remember. But as for worldly things, you know, don't forget to water the flowers, you know, or take that job. You know, oh, she's trying to tell you um, that she wants you to take, are you going for a job lately? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, and he starts to cry because... He thinks his mother's talking to this man. So he's beginning to cry, and then it's a really emotional thing. And people watching the TV are actually really impressed. They go, see, we can communicate with the dead. You can't communicate with the dead. There's no communication with the dead. That's an awful exchanging. There is no communication with the dead whatsoever. We can pray for the dead, and exceptional, the saints say, but very exceptional, I don't want it for myself, Sometimes, really exceptional, that sometimes God allows some souls to come. Why? To remind us to water the flowers. <laughs> they come to ask for prayers. Sometimes even warning. But I doubt that they're going to really give a 
two hoots about the flowers. So it's done in a really good way and people believe it and they're confused and even Orthodox Christians watch this and that's why the priests have to speak up in the church and say, do not go to mediums. Do not believe in these things. Someone said to me, I was emailing with a person overseas and they said to me, um, we should only speak about the love of Christ and we shouldn't speak about the bad things in this world. Oh, my stomach turned and I got really, really um, uh, quite shocked with that statement. I go, what is this person speaking about? Like, um, only speak about Christ and the good things about Christ, this and that. St. Paul in his epistles went as far as to say, I'm shocked that there's a woman in the... Um, Anyway, St. Paul went into every detail of everything that was going on in his times. He spoke about homosexuality, he talked about other sins and unnatural sins. He talked about people that were offering sacrifices to idols and don't eat meat that's been strangled and all these things he spoke about in his epistles. He didn't just speak about the love of Christ. Yes, he did speak about the love of Christ, but also spoke about men love your wives as you honour, you know, as you love yourself. Give yourself for her. Women, you know, be a bit into your husbands in the Lord. And advice to children, to the elders, to the priests, to the bishops, to women that were widowed, women that were newly married. And this is why if I sat here and spoke to you about the love of Christ and that's all, I would expect you to run and say something's wrong with this priest. He does not care about us. So I would expect people to jump out of that window, that window, from that door, there, 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 and through there. Run because it means that I don't give anything about you. I don't care about you. Why become a priest? When the priest speaks about the dangers in this world, the things that are necessary, they're necessary. And as you notice, as I'm speaking about those things, I'm speaking to you about Christ and the mysteries of the church and prayer, etc. But it's very hard to speak about these things if a person is going to leave from here tonight, let's just say, and go to, you know, Madame, I don't know who, some woman with down the street so she can read the crystal ball to tell you whether you're going to get a good job to get a lot of money. You know, that does not go. That has to stop. These things have to stop. We have to fix ourselves up. Once we fix ourselves up with these big things, then we've got times to start struggling with our inner passions, our hate, our jealousies, our envies, our lusts, etc., which are also within us. St. Basil the Great says, I'm a virgin in body, but not in soul. St. Basil the Great said that. I'm a virgin in body, but not in soul. What does he mean by that? Obviously, thoughts. And that's what the saints did. They were fighting from all their passions, their thoughts, etc. It's a bit hard to fight these things, to go into the inner life, when we're too busy worrying about these things, doing these bad things. So, So we go to 
And then she did, a, you know, she was praying. She was asking God for help. Having prayed long and fervently, the Holy Virgin was released from these demonic thoughts and desires and therefore put the enemy to shame. Being conquered by her prayer, he fled from her with shame and again there came to her a calm in her body and her heart. The flame of desire for this man um, ceased and the blood, boiled, blood was stilled. She didn't feel that, that, that blood her boiling to, to commit sin. And Justina glorified God and sang a song of victory. The question here is why does Saint Justina choose to do a life of virginity? Why doesn't she get married to a Christian? Because some people say, as the devil later on says to her, because he appears to her, you know, I've forgotten name of some form of something, and says to her, why, um, why are you dedicating yourself and, you know, when you can get married and have children? If you don't have children and people will become and remain virgins, there'll be no one in the world, there'll be no more children being produced. And some people say, well, that was the commandments that we must multiply. Yes, that's correct. In the Old Testament, it was a commandment. But in the New Testament, Christ gave a new commandment, which is for those that's been given, those who want, those who have given, been given that gift, if they want to stay single and dedicate their lives to Christ, then they can. And St. Paul says, because he was unmarried, he says, I wish all people to be like me with no husband or no wife, etc. Um, but that is if the person wants to. Why would someone do that? Why would someone deny something which is natural and is permitted by God? But where is it permitted? And I had this um, quote that I wanted to read for you just quickly. There was actually there are actually canons in the in the Rada which forbid, especially there were some ascetics who had a really strange view of marriage. And they used to try and say that marriage is dirty or horrible, etc. Actually, the fathers of the church uh, said that if anyone says those things, if anyone puts down marriage in that way, they will be excommunicated. Ascetic or not, if you're in the desert or not, you sleep on rocks, it makes no difference. You will be excommunicated if anyone speaks in that way against the marriage. In the Western church, and this is why you hear a lot of people say against the church and they make fun, like the, the, um, the flesh is evil and the flesh is horrible and this and that. That came a lot in the Western church. They were so obsessed with it over there that they even, made a, they even for, for, forbade priests to get married, like all priests. In the Orthodox Church, there's a choice. A person wants to get married, he can. A person doesn't want to get married, he doesn't, and then he becomes a priest. Their view of sex, etc., was that it is bad, some strange views that they had over there. In the Orthodox Church, some of those views tried to penetrate, but in general, the Orthodox Church does not have that view. And it blesses sexual intercourse, but where? In marriage. Only in marriage. Outside of marriage, it's forbidden. So therefore, this controversy going on today, which I don't want to expound on because of the young people, of, of, of same-sex marriages, etc., it's not an issue for the Orthodox Church, because in the Orthodox Church, 
A marriage is between a man and a woman, and in that marriage, uh, sexual contact is allowed. In the marriage. Everything outside of that is forbidden. Today, in many Protestant churches, some, some Protestant churches, in Catholic churches, and even some Orthodox churches, not, not as much, I think, because... But there's this thing about this focus on homosexuality, etc., etc. That it's evil, that it's bad, that it's this, it's that, that. But, you know, we, by doing that, we alienate these people by just saying those things. Because God did not say just that. He said all sexual contact outside of marriage is forbidden. Only in the mystery of marriage is it allowed. Therefore, what happens, what doesn't the church preach against fornication of two people that aren't married, a man and woman? You don't hear much about that. We hear about the others, and that's why they just become a bit crazy and they go, oh, hypocrites and this and that. Where's the preaching against adultery? Where's the preaching against abortions? Where's the preaching against a lot of things? Where's the preaching against where people don't pay taxes? Or people go on social securities and then they get other jobs. Where's the preaching about those things? People do that. They think it's okay. It's just part of life. And this is why a lot of these people hate the church because it's like there's a focus just on them and therefore we create what's called a persecution complex where we are just persecuting those people. So, St. Justina and many others want to dedicate themselves to Christ. They don't want to get married, not because they disdain marriage, not because they think that marriage is filthy, not because they think that, because they want to give themselves completely to Christ. And St. Paul says that quite well, and I'll just read that part. I don't like reading too much about people, but I think... This one you will find interesting because he explains. He said there, 7.32. He goes, St. Paul says, But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, like I said earlier on, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, and she may, that, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I am put a leash on you, not forcing you, in other words, saying, for what is, for, 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 but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Monastics, people that become monastics, they don't become monastics for other reasons, to escape the world, to escape responsibility or whatever. Some people do that. Some people go to monasteries because they've got social problems. Other people go to monasteries because they failed at school or they can't get married or they've got a lot of problems. They, they don't last. People go to monasteries because they love Christ with all their heart and they want to dedicate their life completely to him. Now you might say, is St. Paul saying that we who are in the world don't love Christ? And the answer is, no, that's not correct. Of course people, they are there. But it's, one can say, more difficult. And that's why a lot of people 
become nuns and monks, etc. They don't want to be married. Not because they disdain marriage. It's there. It's there. It's free. They can do that if they want. But they don't want to do it. It's the same with you people. Some of you are married. Some of you are not married. You can choose. Some of you want to become monastic. Some of you might want to get married. It's blessed. And a lot of times, actually, the reason for marriage, some people say we get married for children. And that's not completely correct. Actually, it says... Now, uh, now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. What does that mean? To prevent fornication. To prevent, what I said before, sexual contact outside of marriage. To prevent these, this sin, there is the marriage. And some people do find it hard to be able to endure not to have a husband or wife because of that reason. And therefore, God says, well, it's there, you can get married. But not outside of marriage, in the marriage. So the, one of the main reasons, believe it or not, for marriage is to avoid fornication. To avoid what I said before. But people are a bit confused with that. Now, there are some people who... Sorry, in these times that we live in, with the amount of temptations that, that occur, it is very important for people to have their husbands and wives because of the amount of temptation that exists. Some people, actually, I believe that unless the people are really spiritual. Some people take on like a bit of a, uh, a deception and they say, let's live as brother and sister. And that only causes a lot of problems and a lot of times that is done out of pride. There's nothing wrong with people having contact within the, the rules of the church because God knows exactly what's good for us in that area. Not what the newspapers say, not what the television says, not what these feminists say, that they want to come and tell us what is the right way, but the church knows what's the right way. And these people, as I said in the talk at the bookshop a few months ago, these people who used to put down the church for so many years, the church was put down and say, oh, it's backward, and it makes people to be repressed. And it gives and it promotes sickness in society. And we have to have what's called the sexual revolution, which occurred in the 60s, especially after the, the, pill, the discovery of the contraception pill. They, that, that's it now. That's been going on now for 40 years, 40, 50 years. And as I said, then I'll say it now. They've thrown out of schools God's commandments. They've thrown out of everywhere just about. No one knows anything really properly of what is the commandments of God concerning these matters of, of sexual intercourse, etc., etc. They've had their free reign. They have had our kids. They've had people under their power for 40 to 50 years. And as a result, one would have to say 
that the that people living today in society, especially the young ones that have been brought up by that, some young ones never even heard of anything to do with the commandments. These people should be the most sexually healthy people that exist. But yet, but yet, unless you are spiritually blind, it's there where our people are sick with sex addictions and sexual, sexual identity crisis, where people don't know if they're boys or girls, and, and there's um, the other ones, and suicides, like that, uh, that country over there, Sweden, I think it is, where over there, oh, they were really, they were revolutionary. There it was really easy going, do what you want, the parents used to say. And they're jumping off cliffs and they're gassing themselves and all the, a lot of young people over there and people. Why? People say, oh, it's other reasons. Um, stresses in the world, unemployment, etc., etc. Okay, that's true to some extent that these things can cause problems even in sexual areas. But I would have to say that with the damage of pornography, the damage from this internet, the damage from the laws opening up that people can just do whatever they want, homosexual laws, there's none exist anymore, and other laws, and adulteries, etc., fornications, and all these things that exist today, I thought, according to their theory, that they would have made a better world. But I don't think there is a better world. What do you think? You tell me. Some of you might disagree. I'm, I'm open to suggestions. Are we in a better world? I mean, I just, I, you just see it advertised continually, you know, um, sex addiction, sexaholics. There's, there's now organisations which people go there because they're addicted. People who are married but rather be on the internet. And you understand what I mean. They'll rather be on the internet when they've got their spouse in the next room. What's going on there? What's this sexual revolution? Where's this freedom? Where's this healthy thing that's going on? I don't know. I don't seem to see it. Unless I'm stupid, that could be possible. Can you please help me? Because anyone would like to tell me? You, you people, I'm sure, are well read. Be free. I might not agree, but we can have a thing. Well, as long as you don't attack me, just say it nicely. You agree with me? Do you believe that that after from the 60s with the sexual revolution that there should be now pretty much a better thing, especially those children who are now 30 or 40 years old that were grown up completely in that period? They went through the school system, the university system, the television, etc., media. Obviously, for no one not to say anything, I'm, I'm hoping that you would agree. So, marriage is there. Yes, did you have a question? Sorry? No. Um, I'm sure that you would agree that there's a catastrophe going on, and that's painful. That is really, really painful. A lot of drug problems is not only from abuse. Oh, pedophilia. That's another one. Increase. Some people say, oh, it always existed, but we didn't know about it. Uh, I would have to say, it's always existed. It's in the canons, actually. There, were canons written, um, there are canons written 15, 1,600 years ago. It's all in there. The church is aware of it. We have canons for people like that. Um, um, penances. that can't commune 10 years, 20 years, whatever that was in those days. But today, people are scared to leave their children. 
in the schools, they're in the churches, they're in the medical profession, they're everywhere, and people are scared. So where is this, uh, this thing? And a lot of pedophiles have increased because of the introduction of internet and pornography that has promoted the person to go berserk. Some people had thoughts about it, but they're able to keep it under control. But, um, see, we're lucky. I'm a bit more, uh, I'm a bit more free. I'm not that scared. I can talk about pedophiles because it's still, that's still looked at in society as bad. So I can talk about them all day and put them down. The other topic's a bit hard. Gays, this, that. We've got to be very careful about that. But the pedophiles we can talk about. But I tell you one thing. The time is coming and soon to be that even they will be protected, and it's already happening in America to some, to some extent, where they will be looked at as being people and you won't be able to go against them because it will be said that you've got hate or that you're promoting violence towards this group of people. They will grow, grow together as a body, as the other people have done, and they will pass laws, and they already have, to some extent. Organisations, especially in America, etc. Where is the problem? What is going on? I'll tell you what it is. It's called, in Greek, apostasia. In English, apostasy. This comes from apostasy, from God's commandments. When we leave God's commandments, especially in these areas of sexuality, we open the doors to every type of madness. And this is the result of one of them. And still we're allowed to say, that's bad, they're, they're bad people, they're evil people, they're not good and this and this and that. But the time will come, it won't be long. I mean, these, these people that are promoting these um, freedom of sexual things and all that, they're, they're really working hard. What do you do when you send your children to school when they're being subjected to the gay agenda, etc., etc.? What do you do with these? What do you do with your children when they're being done? Some say, well, when they come home, I talk to them about it and tell them that's not right. No, it doesn't work, doesn't it? You can't have a five- or six-year-old child who's at school for six hours a day and being brainwashed with those things, especially now they're reading ch children's stories about that, you know, and things like that, promoting films about same-sex relationships and all that, and on the TVs and all that. You can't go and say to me that you're going to take your child home and you're going to tell them the right thing. Now, you might say you will remove them. You can't. It's part of the, a lot of schools. It's part of the curriculum. So what do you do? What are they doing in America, for example? What are some people doing here in Australia? A lot of people are pulling their kids out and homeschooling them. <gasps> homeschooling. Well, my child's going to go to university. I want my child. And a lot of Christians I hear say, I want my child to be educated and there's no way they can be educated at home, etc., etc. Well, what's the examples of the lives of saints where many of them actually took out their children, and for example, in Russia, as I said, the, the father of the Optin elders, took their children, he didn't even send his children to school because he said, I'm not going to have my children go to school because they're going to be corrupted. And that was back in the 1700s. He didn't want to. Imagine if that father lived now, but he produced three saints, if I, if I remember right. Three saints. Because he put his child's, his children's soul first. 
If people are putting their children's education first, which I must admit many do do, ignoring the fact that most kids that come out of school are very ill-educated, the, the, the literacy rate is so low that most kids can't even read and they can't even add. And even with the calculators, it made no difference because, as I said to you before, I had a year... I used to teach... I had a year 11 girl who went on to do HSC. And um, she was all happy because she had a calculator. She could do calculator now, and she thought that by having the calculator, she's going to be a wizard maths. So I said to her, um, what's $10 take away two cents? And she goes, $8. So we are really making gambles. Which is more important? The education of children, and, and, and in point of actual fact, I think it's been shown statistically now that kids that are homeschooled actually are better educated than kids that go to school. And in America, thousands on thousands and thousands of people are homeschooling their children. Now, some people, I even heard one grandmother go, oh, you can't protect your children forever. You know, they have to be exposed to evil so they can fight evil. So we're going to throw our child, five years old, etc. We're going to throw our child and say to them, now, Mary, you go to school today and you fight that evil. Whatever they tell you, you do your cross and you say to them, I'm orthodox because I do my finger, I do my cross with three fingers and whatever they tell you, you stand up and you preach. God created man and woman. And you tell them and you confess the faith. Well, that person doesn't even know she exists at five years old. That's a well-known fact. Children don't even know what's going on at five years old. Five, six, seven years. It's only when they get around seven or eight. That's why the church actually says confession starts from the Russian church. It's eight. Greek church, nine, eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there. Seven, eight, nine, ten is when confession starts. Why? Because that's when the person's conscious. person's not conscious at that age. You don't send a child to school. I mean, how many of you people go to work or university or college and people are saying things and you're adults. We, adults I used to work before this and still I come across people, you know, the shops here and there, and people say the most absurd things and we're there and we're going, they might say, um, um, oh, I believe that the Catholic Church is the true church. You might go to the shop. What are you? I'm, I'm, I'm Orthodox. What are you? Catholics, oh, the, do you believe in the Pope? No, don't believe in the Pope. It goes, well, you know, unless you believe in the Pope, you can't be safe, for example, or other examples, you know, gay rights or this or other things or other. There's so many things that go on today. And you see Orthodox Christians that are adults, 20, 30, 40 years old, and as soon as the person says something, I don't know, what can I say? And they, and they go, huh, and they run away. But no, we're going to tell Mary, off you go, Mary, and you go to school and you confess orthodoxy. That's cruel. That's horrible. And those children are mixed up, completely mixed up. There are maybe some exceptions that some went to school, and but as time goes on, it's becoming more and more and more and more. Ch people, children are becoming confused because they're being brainwashed 
every day on these matters. So you as parents have to make up your decision, have to make a decision what you're going to do. If you don't agree with me, I'm welcome. I'd like to know alternatives. If you believe that children can be protected by you speaking to them at home for about an hour or so and taking them to church, you see the church, you see the kids at the, in, in the church a lot of times, they're not interested in church because the, 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 the TV, the, the TV, the DVDs, the games, the school, the education, etc., has, has, is filling up their minds and they really can't go on to God. It's very hard for them. Any questions on that? I think we're, in, we're finished now. Any questions on that or comments? Yes, please. I agree a hundred percent. And you know what happens? Um, when I used to do talks in the olden days, when I had more people that I knew, people that I knew, because a lot of people here I don't know, I used to tell the person, can you please go outside? Today, if I do that, there's some people here that have been for the first time, and they're going to say, oh, what kind of a priest is that, and he's cruel, and he doesn't understand, and this and that. So sometimes we compromise, which is wrong, and that is irritating. Yes, it is. I mean, obviously the child's tired, but... I agree with you, and if you people don't mind, I would like to have the rule. The child's crying not to be in the, in the hall. That's the best thing, because it is very distracting. And thank you for the comment. No, it's not, it's not um, right, but it's um, difficult. So um, we'll have the rule that, you know, please, when the child is crying, not to be in the hall at all. Just stay there or stay outside. And, and that, because people have come and it's difficult for people to listen when they're distracted. I mean, even I'm getting terrorised myself, but I try to hide it because people are going to say, oh, you know, you're, you're a horrible person. We're always horrible. Whatever we do, we're horrible. But sometimes you've got to... Maybe I should have been horrible and then we wouldn't have had the problem. Apart from that, well, that was a good comment. Thank you. Was there any other question? Yes? I'm confused with that. In the Greek tradition, maybe Father knows, but I, um, in the Greek tradition we have one. In the Russian tradition, I don't know about your own church, but um, they have two. I don't know why. Why is that? Do you, Father, do you know? I think traditionally what Father's trying to say is it's always been one. Somewhere along the line they made it two. Why, I don't know, it might, it might even be an incorrect procedure, a practice. But in, in, in general, when I do baptisms, one person is all I want. And I always check if the person is trying to lead a Christian life, etc. If the person's not leading a Christian life but they are really consciously doing the wrong thing and not caring about it, not if we're 
struggling and falling and this and that, but a person doesn't care, I won't do the baptism. I say to them, you know, you, my conscience doesn't allow me to do it. One person and one person has to be a person who is a conscious, orthodox, struggling Christian. Now, as for the opposite sex, um, I think in the Greek church that it can be a male or a female. The Russians prefer to be the same sex. Again, these are just little things that are differences. I don't really know. I haven't studied it. Um, so I don't know fully the reason for it. Yes? Yes? As well. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Ah, okay. Hmm, that might make sense, doesn't it? So, having two there just in case. Uh, Does they have to be married? No, they are not allowed to be married. Oh. Or, no, sorry, they could be married. Between them, they have to be married. Be- they have to be married beforehand, and then there's all these, yeah. And then there's all these rules that you can't marry your god daughter or god son because that's why they try to have the same the same sex to prevent those damages occurring, like um, Saint Olga of Russia, who, when she went to Constantinople, I think the the emperor wanted to marry her, and then she said, "Okay, I'll marry you." You know, you be my godfather at the baptism. So he was he, the emperor became her godfather, and then later on, he she said, "I'm not marrying you now because you can't. I can't get married. You can't marry your goddaughter." So she tricked him, but in, because there is a relationship there, a very close relationship. Any other questions? Uh, yes. They abolished same se- they abolished single sex schools. Most of them, there was a lot of boys, just boys schools and girls schools, and they abolished a lot of that and made them into uh, co-ed schools, thinking that uh, the people who came out of um, single sex schools, just boys schools, would be some type of social freaks or something. However, we find that um, it doesn't really better the situation because from what I can see is that there are people who still have social problems of speaking to the opposite sex, etc., which all comes from the TV because the TV showed certain ways of doing it, so the person tries to imitate it at seven years old. I mean, what's a seven-year-old trying to talk to a girl about, to do what, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds? It's just stupid things, but they're forced to do it, to dress up certain ways, to be what we call sexualized at a young age, and even the media now, they're starting to pick up that something is not going right with little children, girls that want to wear padded bras and makeup, etc., and boys and this and that. It's a mess. They're starting to see it themselves. And um, it's true that a lot of people have to have alcohol, or they used to, they still do, alcohol and drugs and all that, to be able to speak to the opposite sex so much for the sexual revolution. But, and then, now, that doesn't even work for them. So what they do is they just stay in the, on the internet and meet people that way. And there's people who just on the internet 
and their whole life's the internet of meeting people and talking to them, etc. as long as they don't see them face to face. And then, or show or send them a picture which is not even themselves, and then uh, they actually go into these virtual reality things and they, um, they can dictate to the computer how they're going to talk to someone, how they're going to walk into a bar and how they're going to dance. And like to me, when I see these things, it really makes me sick and makes my mind to explode because the people that are watching these things, it actually, there are computer programs, I'll say it again, where someone can make up a person the way he wants. So say it's a girl and she's, she wants to be thin, so she'll program the computer for this image to be thin, to have blonde hair, to have makeup, or to have this, and then to walk in the bar, and then so everyone can look at her, and all her fantasies, and they go, oh, this is good because it's freeing her of her fantasy. No, it's making her sicker. And then the guys, they go into, they make up the whole reality there, that they've got machine guns, and they're frightened, and this, and that, I don't know what's going on. They're, they're swinging from building to building like Spider-Man, and they believe that, you know, that helps them, but this is, this is producing a generation of sick people, not to be laughed at, but to be, to be that's, that's very painful. And, you know, some parents said, because they were told, you can't hide the internet from the children, you've got to give the internet to the children, this and that, because they need it for their assignments, etc., etc. Well, they gave the internet to the children, but now the children are being uh, molested via the internet, and they're learning things via the internet, and pornography via the internet, and re there's virtual reality via the internet, and everything's via the internet, and people have been... And I say to you that this generation that have gone through from the internet from the 90s, when, it, when, when did it come out, in the 90s something? These, these people now are, gonna, are growing, and it's very interesting that a lot of young people are saying, oh, I don't want to have a relationship which is emotional, I just want to have a relationship which is purely sexual, for example. And then you, and they try to be really tough and say, oh, you know, that's what I like. And then people are saying, oh, the youth of today really know what they want. Interesting. The reason why they're saying that they want the relationship to be sexual like two dogs is because, simply, because they can't be emotional. Because the computer and the TV and the music has actually killed all their emotions. And they can't be emotional, and they hide behind their, you know, their, their makeup or their t tattoos for guys or whatever that's going on. There are all these things that are hiding behind the true self of the person. And what's the true self? These people lack emotions. They've got no emotions. What do you think a lot of these punks and all that, they stab themselves? And young people, they stab themselves and do all these things. Why? Because they don't feel why do you think they go and bash people? Because it gives them feeling. At least it gives them a feeling, even though what the feeling is is a sin, it's a passion. Or they go and rape someone. Or they go and kill people. Or set people alight. It gives them feeling. A feeling because they're so dead. And this is today going to be the biggest challenge of the church, the, this type of thing. In a sexual confusion and emotional deadness. And that's why a lot of them, I feel pain for them, they have to go on, I shouldn't say it like that, but they go on drugs because they cannot stand, a lot of them, their insensitivity. They can't stand that they're dead. And I've 
dealt with marriages and I know that a lot of people that are married, one of the biggest things in the marriage is that the male can't feel for the woman and the woman can't feel for the man and then there's a whole mess there. And it all comes from those three. It can come also from trauma because there were, you know, if you read history, you'll see that there were people that went through wars, people that went through the Second World War, young kids that saw their parents being blown up and slaughtered and they saw a lot of things. A lot of those kids became insensitive. They had to close up because they couldn't take the pain. That's true. But a lot of the, a lot of the youth today um, actually are worse than them because a lot of times you can work on those. You know, like a lot of the guys that came back from the Second World War, they never opened up. A lot of those, the diggers, as we say, they never opened up. And then slowly, some of them now at 80, 90 years old are opening up. They go to some groups and they're starting to open up their pain for the first time. They wouldn't open up to their kids, to their wives. They would never talk about the war. But they're starting to talk about it and they're becoming a bit more healed. That's possible to some extent because it's not the same as the internet or the TV when kids, when you put a six-month-old child in front of the TV where the person's just visual like that. You know how cruel it would be? Say you've got a person and strap them onto a, um, a, a, medical, a medical chair or something. And then you had things, blur, you know, people get brainwashed and you had these visual things blurring at them, whatever you want them to believe. You want them to believe in Lenin or communism or whatever, I don't know, whatever you want them to believe. And you just have that on them all the time. That's how cruel it is that you do, that we have to kids. We have the kids there, they're basically immobile because they're babies, they can't walk away, and they're there just watching these things. When these children grow up, they become quite sick. And you might say, oh, you're overdoing it. That's, that's okay, you research it. I'm telling you what I believe and you read the Holy Fathers, you read the saints, you don't have to believe what I say, but don't reject it too quickly because you might find that the rejection causes problems. And just one more thing to show you that how, how society's gone sick. There's a show on TV. In there, they've got a, a, a little girl in that show. It's about a man and a wife of kids. They're playing this part. This girl played from very young. I don't know how old she was, but these baby, these boys, these twins boys played this role from, from when they were babies. They couldn't even walk on this thing every day. And they, and they tell them to say to the, the makeup father and mother, mummy, daddy, this, that. But they're not their mummy and daddy. These kids are saying mummy or daddy or saying things or whatever at six months, whatever, one year old, one and a half years old, etc. And people are there and they go, oh, isn't that cute? Oh, oh, that's that. Isn't that smart? And this and that. A lot of those kids, I'm not so going to say about them specifically, a lot of those kids, as we know, turn out to be messes. What, you don't get a child. That's, that's abuse. That is really the highest form of abuse of those children. They don't know what reality is. Once a little kid, he saw a, a video somewhere, I don't know, he was at a house, this kid never used to watch TV, but somehow he was somewhere and he saw, a, it was a religious video, it was a, like a religious type of video about some man, he had an accident in the car. Now, anyway, this kid saw it, but never used to watch these things before. 
he saw it and he went to bed. Then he woke up and he started saying that the man had got an accident and he turned around and he was crying and shouting and things like that. You go, oh, that's because the parents never let him watch TV in the first place and that's why it was terrorised. No, this terrorisation takes place when the kid's very young, but they don't express it a lot of times. They don't open up because they're too young. You, you know, you've got a little kid there watching Spider-Man and flying or people being hit or killed. The kid does not understand. It's not going to say, Mummy, I feel emotionally distraught today. I saw this and this on the TV. Children don't know how to speak. They don't know how to express. So what do they do? They become scared. They become terrorised. They become withdrawn. They turn off to be able to cope. These kids grow up to be messes. So we have to be careful of what we believe is good for a child, is not really good for a child. Someone had a hand up somewhere? No? That's it. Yes, one please. Well, I'd have to question the parent. Is your child being taught those type of concepts? And if the answer is yes, then you ask them, well, what are you going to do about it? What do you think about it? So instead of saying, don't send it, don't send the child, and just creating a problem, you put it back on them. Well, what are you going to do about it? Do you care? And if they say they don't care, well, what? I can't do much about it. They don't care, they don't care. If they come to me for confession, then I'll work on it. I even might even say, well, look, my conscience is telling me that you are allowing your child to be corrupted and therefore my conscience does not allow you to have communion. If the person is a conscious Orthodox Christian. If they're not, then they wouldn't come to confession in the first place. And therefore it's up to them. So I would put it back on them, depends on the relationship of the person in the church, how much influence the priest can have. But it is an issue. What are you going to do about the child being taught these things? So, that's the end of that. Um, I didn't finish a lot of it, but that doesn't matter because we spoke about many other things. Through the prayers of the Holy Spirit, which of God save us. Amen.